0: Everybody and welcome into episode 142 of the Sports Kiki podcast. My name, of course, is Alex Riva. You can find the show wherever you can find your favorite out sports podcasts. We are available on Spotify, Apple, Google. You know the drill. Download, listen, rate, subscribe. It is much appreciated. Here on this Saturday, November the nineteenth, twenty twenty-two, as we make our way towards Thanksgiving week and make our way towards the start of the World Cup. It all begins Sunday. That's right. After 12 years of buildup from the corrupt negotiation process that awarded Qatar this signature international sporting event to the migrant debts from building the stadiums to the dismal state of LGBTQ rights in the Gulf Nation, it all comes to a head this Sunday. And I have the perfect guest for you this week. Coming up in a few moments, you'll hear my conversation with Dr. Nas Muhammad, who is currently living in San Francisco, where he practices medicine. But he is from Qatar, and to his knowledge, he is the only publicly out gay native Qatari. He came out in a BBC interview earlier this year, and now with the World Cup here, Dr. Muhammad is the founder of the Proud Maroons, and I love their Twitter bio, the LGBTQ plus national football supporters group that Qatar never wanted, largely made up of LGBTQ expats from Qatar. So uh, a great conversation with Dr. Nas about his life growing up as gay in Qatar, his fight for asylum here in the States, his feelings on the media coverage of LGBTQ rights in Qatar as the World Cup approaches and now begins this weekend. And, you know, I have to say up front, I've spent so much time on the show the last few weeks talking about The situation for lgbtq visitors to qatar they're expecting about a million to a million and a half people for the world cup um but dr nas says the conversation and the coverage should really be about the living hell that lgbtq people face in qatar on a daily basis the visitors will come and go once the world cup ends but the lgbtq people living in qatar are stuck there and they're stuck in the closet very very dangerous situation and uh, a great conversation with Dr. Nas Muhammad. That's coming up in a few moments. I promise I won't babble too long. We'll get to him. But before we do that, I want to share some good news. Yes, some positive news in the world of LGBTQ sports. Always love it when a prominent athlete comes out. And that happened this week. Isaac Humphreys has publicly come out as gay. He's a former, player for the, a former basketball player for the Kentucky Wildcats. He played five games for the Atlanta Atlanta Hawks during the 2018-2019 season. He currently plays professionally in Melbourne, Australia. And he came out in an interview with CNN this week. He says that coming out lifted 25 years of weight off his shoulders. I love that quote so much because it embodies what I say about coming out, that you can finally exhale and you can finally be free be happy, be free. He said, I'm making the decision to come out because I believe that I can be who I am in my environment and I can change the trajectory of how we view being gay in sport. Bravo, Isaac Humphreys, And we know Jason Collins publicly came out. while well, he was still playing in the NBA in 2013. But Isaac Humphreys is the first pro basketball player since Jason Collins to come out. So congratulations to him. I hope it feels good. Of his 25 years of weight lifted off of his shoulders. And his final stats for his first post coming out game not too shabby eight points, six rebounds, four assists. So we'll definitely be following Isaac Humphreys as the basketball season continues. Never thought I'd be following Australian basketball, but here we are. We're following Isaac Humphreys. I mentioned the World Cup starts Sunday, and there's already a lot of controversy between Qatar and Some of its about face on things that they said they would allow to happen, but now they're going back on it. Uh, Alcohol sales chief among them, Qatar, this came out Friday morning, has banned beer sales at its stadiums, which is a big problem because Budweiser is a huge sponsor of the FIFA World Cup. And Budweiser was expecting its beer to be sold at World Cup stadiums. Beer, soccer, they go together. Well, not in Qatar. Beer and alcohol will only be served at designated fan-fest areas well outside of the eight World, uh, World Cup venues. And you read the articles about this, that some of the highest members of the Qatar royal family were involved in this decision. And it makes you pause and go, wow, they really take this stuff seriously over there. You know, they're not kidding. All this talk about alcohol bans, LGBTQ rights more liberal Western customs. Uh, If high-level members of the royal family, I mean, it seems so minuscule to us, right? Like, who cares? Sell Budweiser at a World Cup stadium. But it's a big deal to them, apparently. So, Qatar, the games haven't even started yet. And they've already done one about-face. On beer sales, what will be their next about-face? It's worth watching. Dr. Nas Muhammad is coming up on the other side of this break. is a Sports Kiki podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. And welcome back to the show, as I was saying in the open. Very excited for my guest this week, and it's so topical because we've been talking about the World Cup being, being in Qatar and the dismal state of LGBTQ rights in Qatar for weeks, if not months. So let's get someone with a real firsthand perspective. Dr. Nas Muhammad uh, immigrated to the U.S. from Qatar after publicly coming out as gay. He wrote an essay for us at Outsports in August. Gay man from Qatar sounds alarm about coverage of the World Cup and LGBTQ oppression. He's also the founder of the Proud Maroons, which we'll talk about in a little bit. The And I love the Twitter line, the LGBTQ national football supporters group that Qatar never wanted. <laughs> um, Dr. Nas, thanks for the time. How are you today? Good, thank you for
1: having me and for elevating our voices.
0: Yeah, no, thank you so much for speaking out and sharing your story. And I want to start with that. Um, You say that you are the first Qatari who you know of to publicly come out as gay. Um, I think it says a lot right there about the state of LGBTQ rights in your home country. But first, let me ask, what propelled you to publicly come out in this fashion? So um, to tell
1: you a little bit about myself, so I was born and raised in Qatar and then I left. Qatar in 2011 and been living in the U.S. since then. Being in Qatar as an LGBT Qatari is just not compatible with leading a happy, safe life as an LGBT person. So I needed to get out and I took asylum. And when I was defending my asylum case between um, between 2015 and 2017, I was personally challenged on the fact that there were no public records of LGBT um country conditions reports um, in Qatar. So none of, the, wow. none of our stories were public. And the lack of that visibility cha- challenged my plea for asylum directly. So I had to fight for that on my own, basically. I did win the case, it was tough. So this year, now fast forward, and I'm in touch with some LGBT people in Qatar. And I have to also give you another thing to keep in mind there isn't an LGBT community in Qatar, there are small groups and individuals. Organizing is dangerous. Because when one of us is found out the government goes systematically trying to find the others. So we're fragmented, it's dangerous to know other people. And the ones the friends you have, you keep closed. And it's kind of like survival of the fittest atmosphere, basically. And so now leading fast forward leading to the FIFA Soccer World Cup, we're sitting there with these realities and we're just watching the PR and marketing for the FIFA Soccer World Cup. And the way Qatar, is, the Qatari regime is portrayed as an environment for LGBT people. And it's so far removed from our lived experience. And that is dangerous because now when you combine the lack of objective Reporting with right. this massive pulse PR and marketing, how are the people that are now actually fighting for their asylum, the US, UK, and Canada, and Germany, going to defend their cases? So we've right. been trying to leak stories out anonymously, but then we were just losing traction because we just don't have platform, we don't have a nonprofit organization that represents us, and none of us was out. So I came out on BBC News in May, and till now I'm still the only publicly out Qatari.
0: Wow! And what are some ways that? How you said the media coverage really frustrated you. Um, why? What has what the mainstream media gotten wrong with how they portray LGBTQ rights in Qatar?
1: You know, like when we were just trying to get the stories out, it just was really ineffective. Um, it was very dehumanized when they were anonymous. It's like saying, there's some people out there that are scared, that are abused, and it was just like the stories kept being buried uh, with the stories about the safety of the fans, basically. That's what I was up against. Because the main thing that people were worried about were the LGBT visitors, and right. they were not paying attention to the LGBT community in Qatar. And, cetera, and that our voice was getting buried in that narrative. So that's what, what I think was very frustrating for us.
0: Right. Yeah, because so much of the coverage has been I think one and a half million visitors are expected for the World Cup. And it's been, you know, how about LGBTQ American soccer fans, European soccer fans, but you're right, the voices of the actual LGBTQ people in Qatar have not been amplified. And it's it's great that you're doing that. Um, I want to go back to your asylum case. Why was the fact that there was no real public record of LGBTQ people in Qatar? Why did that make your asylum case more difficult?
1: I'm well, because curious. there are certain elements, yeah. So there are certain elements to granting an asylum case from a legal standpoint, and um, I can't cite all four of them, but uh, on top of my head, but a right. couple of really important elements is you need to prove that you belong to a persecuted group of people, right, and that your likelihood of that persecution is high. So that's just part of the legal defense of getting an asylum for anything. So. In my particular case, as an LGBT Qatari, I needed to prove that I'm an LGBT person, and that was like a process. <laughs> but uh, I was ready to unlock my grinder album. Like, <laughs> <laughs> here you go. And Look like... at these cats. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but then the second element, which is now, am I? really is that group really truly persecuted in Qatar? And if I go back would I really be persecuted? Yes, I would. But then it was just not public and that was a challenge.
0: So I guess the Grinder scene in Qatar is not very good is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> the grinder scene in Qatar is like is like um how do I say it? It's like um Russian roulette.
0: Yeah. Because
1: you know there it's different for people that are visiting qatar i want to say and versus the residents and people can get catfished by law enforcement on grinder in qatar so yeah you know it can be dangerous yeah
0: and what are some stories that you know of of people who do you know of anyone who's been catfished or by law enforcement
1: oh yeah i know a lot of stories now especially after coming out which led to the report, the first official, semi-official country conditions report that's been out, which was published by the Human Rights Watch about a month ago, like in September of this year. So basically, the most severe form of what's going on, I think, is um, the hunt by a a set of the law enforcement called the Preventive Security Department that reports to the Ministry of Interior in Qatar. And they're basically like unhinged mafia that decided being gay is criminal and target LGBT people, especially the ones that have different gender expression. And the way they find them is they go on dating apps. They cruise hotels and restaurants looking for people that have any different self-expression. If your clothes are tight, your hair is long, <clears throat> if you have makeup, if you wear an earring, so that's what I'm talking about cisgender males that are just dressed in a way that's not cisgender male, or present not presenting as cisgender male. And then they would um, also like other ways that they would um, find people is by invading private homes, basically if they know that they are gathering. And wow. they also have um, cyber security measures. So there are people that got arrested having private phone conversations, but then realized that their conversations were not private. Wow. And some people made anonymous comments on on um, public articles, but then they realized their IP address was tracked, and they showed up to their homes to put them for questioning. People got in trouble for tweeting liberal views, and when they take you in, like when you see and experience what they do, that people I have spoken to that were mentioned in the Human Rights Watch report were yep. shaking speaking to me. You know, like it's severe, severe abuse. And that's why everybody is silenced. Even the ones that left are afraid of being found by them. So even the ones of us that have left and have taken asylum in other countries, we still don't want them to find it. But that's why I think it's really, really important to maintain that channel of asylum for us.
0: Right. And and yeah, the Human Rights Watch report came out a couple weeks ago documenting abuses against LGBTQ people in Qatar. We read that homosexuality is illegal in Qatar and it can be punishable by jail time or I've read even death for Muslims. Um, is
1: that accurate? So, based, like, if you read the Constitution, if you read the law, the interpretation of it, yes, allows, legally, allows up to the death penalty. They don't exercise exercise that themselves. The government doesn't do that. There are stories of honor killings among us. and it's really those are the hardest to put out in the press and uh, because like when I now like try to put stories out, I try to put them out with evidence. And the stories of honor killing are really difficult to share with strong evidence. but among us we know that this is a fear that we have that we would be honor killed by our families and tribes if we come out publicly.
0: Got it, yeah. And, and what is an honor killing for those who don't know?
1: <clears throat> so an honor killing is when a family member or like um, a family member would go and murder their wow. um, their other family member, member when they believe that they have um, defiled the honor or perceived image of the family. Wow. And they do it to women, they do it to women, like, a lot, and then they also, like, being an LGBT person is definitely, like, on that list.
0: Wow. Um, I, you know, it's, it's so hard to even imagine, you know, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, so, you know, quite the different atmosphere, and I can't even imagine, and you wrote about this in your article for us a few months ago, you know, being, growing up gay in Qatar, you know, like... Talk about no visibility. I mean, it's not something that's even discussed. So I can't even imagine how you could begin any journey of self-discovery in in, in that situation, you know? Like, that must be so... uh, Yeah, I I don't... Again, it's hard for me to even put into words, Dr. Nass.
1: I know. And, you know, like, the thing is, like, now I'm having a weird life experience because now I know hundreds of LGBT Qataris, which is like really weird to me to know that there's a lot of us and I know them and I know their stories and I know gay men, lesbian women, transgender men and transgender women. And to hear how everybody is trying to navigate is just so insane. And it's also really like eye opening to see how social status and wealth is also really a huge predictor right now if you're going to be doing well as an LGBT Qatari or not. So some people are doing pretty okay. They kind of navigated the system and found like, you know, like a little pathway to be okay and kind mm. of don't want to rock the boat. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there are a lot of people that are not there. And I think that's not a great situation.
0: Yeah. You know, you read about that throughout history that, you know, the the upper elite levels of society have always had different rules for themselves about many things, homosexuality being one of them. And you say that's kind of similar in Qatar. That's interesting. That is
1: definitely, yeah, that, definitely. You you can definitely see it, not only just on the LGBT rights front, but with everything. You would see that, like, you know, social class or upper class Qataris present differently.
0: Right, yeah. And even alcohol, I imagine. I read today, Friday, that they're banning alcohol sales Around the stadiums, um, so it just—it's really—and fa- so going forward. Oh, first let me ask you, Doctor Nass, if you don't mind answering. Um, do you? What is your relationship like now with your family back home?
1: Um, disowned by my family, oh. which was, the, you know, the the reason I was able to come out. All of them live in Qatar. Yeah. So if I had open relationship with my family, I wouldn't be able to come out publicly. Like I would worry about their harm, but about their safety. And the the truth is, like, it's just, like, even in the press, like, even in my Arabic coming out interview, which aired in Qatar, um, I did mention that I'm disowned by my family. And I think, I think that is as safe as they can be. Um, so they're kind of met with empathy, if you wish, like, the empathy is extended to my family right now, not to me.
0: Yeah. Wow. What is the proper way you think for media organizations to cover this issue as the World Cup unfolds? What kind of coverage would you like to see?
1: I would like when people speak, you know, there was a, one of the out soccer players um, reached out to me and actually had a conversation with me and then he went out and then when he gave the speech, when he says us as a community when he says LGBT community, it includes us. It includes people like me. And like that's what I really would love to see in the coverage. When you see, say, the LGBT community, don't just reference the fans. We're everywhere. We're in check right. And actually, we're fighting the hardest battle right now. And we're at risk of retaliation post this broadcast. So this is the most vulnerable right. segment right now. Right. Exactly. So that's what I would like to see.
0: Right, right, because the visitors they're in and are in and out; they can leave, and those who live there obviously can't. Um, tell me about uh, changing gears here a little bit. The Proud Maroons, as I said, I love the, your description on Twitter. The LGBTQ plus National Football Supporters Group that Qatar never wanted. So, tell me about the Proud Maroons. How you got started, and where you all are today? You know, so
1: just. Um so what I've been doing so since coming out, there are like a lot of things that have been happening very quickly. There has been like you know publishing evidence of persecution, establishing that, and then elevating the voices of the LGBT community in Qatar. And then there is like an advocacy arm, and there is an arm of trying to extend support to people that are still living there with the World Cup. So I anchored all of that in a foundation called the Alwan Foundation. It's our first LGBT nonprofit, basically. That's the last thing that I can do for us. So after opening the foundation, I've been um, thinking um, about ways to really get this message across to people very quickly during the World Cup. Um, So the pro Maroon's idea came up, uh, working with a team, a, a marketing agency called The Community. They reached out to me actually after seeing my press and says, can we do anything to support you? I was like, yes, <laughs> anything. And they, you know, after brainstorming together, we came up with the idea of the problem, because it's really like narrows down on what the issue is. The issue is we have a community in Qatar that's severely persecuted under an authoritative government regime and that is trying to reputation launder using the FIFA Soccer World Cup as the platform and they're extending privileges as a show for a month to the rest of the world mm-hmm. by saying gay fans are welcome and isolating us. So I'm like really highlighting the hypocrisy of "gay fans are welcome" statement by creating a, an LGBTQ um, football supporter group for their own national team, the Maroons, and to say you know this. Is the LGBTQ supporters group that cannot have LGBTQ supporters from its own nation join it because they would be persecuted? And the right. protest would be to ask the rest of the LGBT community right. to join and be proud Maroons with us on our behalf to show that we're one community and that our human rights are global.
0: Right. Yeah. It really is a definition of sports washing. You hear that term a lot, but this would seem to apply. How can people get involved or get in touch with the Proud Maroons?
1: So um, you can go on the website, proudmaroons.com, and you'll have the links to all of our socials there. Um, Anything you buy, like the merchandise or Code & Code membership, go directly to the L1 Foundation, the nonprofit that we started. But honestly, just making noise on social media and just sharing this and letting people know what's going on would be really awesome. What I'm going to be doing is whenever Qatar plays, I'm going to be cheering for them as their number one gay fan in every gay way possible online. And what is a
0: gay way to cheer for a soccer team?
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to share like, a Qatari gay kiss for them and tag them on Twitter when, they, when they're playing.
0: <laughs> Love it. Perfect. Perfect. Um,
1: And I ask all gay fans to do that, especially especially if they're not in Qatar. If you're in Qatar, please don't do this. (laughs) Like, it would be really dangerous to do this while in Qatar, whether you're Qatari or not. I don't think that will be um, received well. But if you're abroad, please don't accept their censorship. Don't let them take our visibility away. Just be visible, be gay, be you, and be the gay fans that they welcome. Be a proud maroon.
0: Dr. Nass, it was great to have you on the show today. Thank you for the time.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having
0: me. All right. So again, thanks to, Do- to, thanks to Dr. Nass for taking a few moments coming on the show. He's been doing a lot of interviews the last few weeks in, in anticipation of the World Cup. And it was great to have him on the show here to spread his message and to recalibrate again how I think I've been viewing and covering the issue of LGBTQ rights into Qatar, because as I said at the open, I've been more focused on the visitors, but the real focus should be on the people living there. And this is an opportunity, a rare opportunity, for the biggest brands in media, the biggest some you know, some of the biggest sports reporters, you know, the whole world, sports world, its eyes will be on Qatar for the next three weeks. This is an opportunity to really expose the medieval treatment, frankly of LGBTQ people in that country. And let's see if we're up to the task. Uh, Quick programming note, I will not have a show next week. I will be traveling for the Thanksgiving holiday. So the next episode of the Sports Kiki will come at you on Friday, December 2nd. Yes, Friday, December 2nd will be the next time that we uh, meet up again here in our virtual podcasting space. So, so long. Talk to you then. Enjoy your Thanksgiving in the meantime. Thank you as always for listening.